We are back working with Radio Radio TV at the Cool Groove site on Wednesdays from 11 to 11.50. Our producer, Harold H.B. Bell, the man behind the scenes, Josh Collingwood, who puts all the digitization together. H.B. loves it when I use that word. <laughs> and welcome Facebook Live. We're grateful to have you your presence as well. Later on the podcast, you'll be able to pick us up. You want to point some friends in this particular direction because today, We'll be talking about mental health issues and specifically a focus on suicide, youth suicide. But before we begin, I want to give just an overview of what we do at the Comenius Institute. At the Comenius Institute, we cross three bridges. The first bridge is into college, uh, where I work at IUPUI teaching uh, young people in a course called Reading, Writing, and Inquiry with a great number of fantastic faculty there. I really enjoy my time uh, teaching there on the campus. But I also meet with students, Christians and non-Christians, uh, to discuss issues of life uh, that go in so many different directions, and specifically helping Christian young people to navigate uh, the, the lines of understanding as it relates to their subject areas and disciplines from a Christian point of view. The second bridge we cross is into community, which we're doing right now on this radio show. And what we do is we invite Christians from around Indianapolis who are doing good, Based on our tagline, Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, do good, do good, do good. I'm a big believer in Aquinas who said truth, goodness, and beauty, but I believe we need to flip that around, show people beauty, do good, and then maybe somebody will want to hear your truth. And then finally, the third bridge we cross is into culture, and so I do an awful lot of writing and speaking, and the, the speaking and writing kind of coalesce into different arenas, one of which is our Truth in Two episodes, which come out every Tuesday morning. Uh, we have one every single week, and those kind of give you an understanding of how to think about whatever issue it is that we're interested in that particular day from a Christian point of view in two minutes. As it relates to this show today, uh, we have uh, I have a publication coming out this summer through Christian Scholars Review. I wrote uh, a long essay on neurodiversity and the necessity of understanding uh, different minds from a Christian point of view. Uh, we talk about neurodiversity, that is everybody's brain is different, which is true of everybody, but we as neurotypicals, those of us who uh, live in a world where uh, other people do not necessarily live, uh, we need to understand folks that are different from us. And that brings us to our show today. Really glad, really happy again to see Laura Henderson. Uh, we've had a longstanding history on the show with Laura. We've uh, been together a few times in the past and uh, thankful for the good work that she's now engaged with, uh, with this particular group uh, and the needs that they have uh, with youth suicide. Laura, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Eccles, for inviting me. It's a subject near and dear to my heart. Well, yes. we're, uh, we're always grateful to hear from people who have wise words uh, to offer in these uh, days that are very troubled in lots of different ways. So why don't we start by you giving us just a general overview of the work that you do and specifically perhaps the agency that you work with. Well, I am with NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and um, it's the largest grassroots um, organization. Um, and we, um, let's see, we have about 30, about 3,200 annual participants mm -hmm. who uh, volunteer or um, host uh, different programs. We have many programs. The program I specifically oversee is Ending the Silence, and that's mm -hmm. what we hope to do is end the silence and let people know it's okay to talk about your mental health challenges. So. The issue of mental health challenges, let's just kind of pick up on that generally. Um, 
in what re arenas do you principally work? What are the general parameters or boundaries of the kinds of folks that you deal with? Well, we go into, for this particular program, Ending the Silence, we go into schools, community centers, um, and specifically uh, work with youth, but it's another component we have for students as well. I'm sorry, not students, for families as well, and then also for teachers. Um, so we have three different um, programs that we can offer on Ending the Silence, um, and it's helping them to recognize signs and symptoms. Um, of not only themselves, but maybe a friend, a peer, uh, maybe it's something that's happening in your household and you're not for sure, but sometimes behaviors are learned behaviors and it's something that's going on in your household um, and you think that's okay, but that's not the way it's actually supposed to be. And then when um, you learn those signs and symptoms, you might say, hey, you know what? That's not appropriate. That's not the way behaviors are supposed to be. Let me talk to someone. So um, the whole goal is to get people to <clears throat> excuse me, not live in silence and say that it, uh, it's, I realize that it's okay to talk. Um, and the more you talk about it, um, the better it is. And that's one of the pieces in the program that I do. We look for um, students, um, or I'll say young adults, 18 to 34, that have um, experienced a mental health challenge, but are in a good place now. And they go in um, with an adult presenter and share with other students my struggles, my journeys, and how I got to where I am today. Because it's more, it seems to be more powerful when I hear it from another living, breathing human being in front of me versus on a, a tape or a video. Um, and they can ask questions and it, it, it gives a more real of a, a, a touch, a context. So we're talking about empathy, that is that you've suffered and you are now offering that. Compassion. Absolutely, absolutely. So NAMI, we don't diagnose or any or provide medication and we provide advocacy, education, and support. Um, and so that's the whole goal is, is to get out and get this information and let people know that they're not alone. It's interesting to hear you uh, say it this way that the specific concerns that you have is the face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a digital world, and so because we live in a digital world, everybody thinks that we do stuff on screens. Uh, tell us about the necessity of the face-to-face -face and why it's so important uh, over against the screen issue uh, for people. Well, I think it's because, again, it's, it's the human part of it. Um, you feel what I'm saying, or I can feel your hurt. Um, when you're in there, a lot of times um, we ask, we do ask questions. It's interactive. We do have a small film that goes with it. It's only a 50-minute segment because we know we can't hold uh, attention that long. So 40 minutes of that is the adult, and it's interactive going back and forth uh, through with the video that is created by you in, in school. Um, and it says different things that's going on with them to help them relate. Um, and then so we'll stop in and, and, and ask some questions. And a lot of times uh, the youth will say, you know what, I relate to that or um, that's my mom or this is my aunt or this is my foster parent, you know, or my foster parent says that's me. Um, they'll raise their hands with so many things. I mean, just recently, I was at an agency uh, talking with youth and the young girl raised her hand and said that um, I used to take medication, um, but my aunt uh, doesn't like medication, so she made me stop taking it. And so I said, how do you feel? Do you feel better without it or did you feel better with it? And of course she said, I felt better when I was taking it. And I said, well, hopefully sometime or another we can be able to get back to that. Um, and so and so there were some other youth that I've been in programs that have said, 
things that are really challenging, you know, like how would you help someone that you recognize um, maybe having an issue? And, and one child said, um, well, my uncle, um, I would get a gun and, and shoot and kill him. And I'm, no, that's not the answer. Um, so obviously there's some things going on there. And I did make a reference back to um, the agency to please help this person uh, seek some help. And I followed up with it. And I did get a response back that um, this individual was in, in treatment now, which is good. Yeah. Um, so there were some things that was going on there. So a lot of times this brings out things um, and we get our, you know, refer uh, or provide information. Um, and, and again, like I said, we have other programs at NAMI, like family, family to family support groups. Um, then we have um, in our own voice. Um, these are um, adults um, from all walks of life, mm -hmm. doctors, um, individuals who've been in prison um, in this video, and they talk about their challenges and how they got to where mm -hmm. they were. But then we still have two adults. Um, actually, we just uh, did it at uh, um, IUPUI for the PhD students oh. um, to help them understand um, and see that, you know, it happens to any and everybody, and, and these are some of the things that they have mm -hmm. gone through in challenges yeah. because in this field, we have to learn to take care of ourselves as well. You know, we can't be given, 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 and not take care of ourselves. We have to take time out, and a lot of times people um, don't want to do that. I know in, in my early work life, I didn't want to be off. I didn't want to take a vacation because I didn't want to miss the time with my client or something may happen, and oh, what would they do? Um, and I had to learn to take care of myself because I, I started to feel burnout at that time in my 20s I didn't know what burnout was you know and it was like I'm, I'm oh wow I'm the cheerleader for them I'm there I'm going to keep them going but I had to realize that they're very resourceful um, and if I've given them the information um, I have to allow them to be able to try to utilize it and not continue to be the um, at that time I thought it was a helpmate but I really wasn't I was in Aitland would you call that a crutch? It was. Yeah. It was. Um, um, but then when I did take vacation, I found out that they were able to handle some crisis. <laughs> 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 yeah, so um, uh, the love of the work, sometimes uh, we enable um, we enable people sure. and, and because we want them to get it. We want them to succeed. Um, but we have to give them the information. It's like Superman uh -huh. giving them the kryptonite. He knows where it is. He didn't care. He didn't use it all the time, but he knew where to go to get yeah. refilled. Yeah, so. it strikes me to say that uh, from a decidedly Christian point of view, you know, we're we're talking about something that's quite incarnational. That is in flesh. I mean, Jesus came in flesh, Absolutely. so we go in flesh to people, and that's imperative for us that we sit with them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But the, you know, when it mentioned Jesus, he was a listener, though. Oh my! Yeah. He was a listener. And us as humans, we are not. Um, and that's a thing we have to learn. And in one of, another class that I teach for Mental Health of America, um, Mental Health First Aid, that's what I teach the adults in there. We talk about listening, listening with intent, not listening to uh, give you the answer. Because um, as soon as we say, can I talk to you? Our mind is start twirling. Uh oh, what's this about? Or does this go back to the last conversation I had with he, him or her? Um, and it's doing all kind of things while this individual is talking. Are we really listening? No, we're not. We're thinking about the opportunity where we can get in and, and give our point, our point of view. But that's not necessary. People just want to be heard. 
Um, mm -hmm. In that program, there's a young man named Kevin Hines, and he goes all around the world now um, talking about his life and mental health challenges that he has had um, up to the point where he actually jumped off the bridge in New York. You know, that's the number one place to go mm -hmm. um, to uh, die by suicide if that's what you're um, in search of. And he had Googled how to die by suicide, and that actually came up. Can you believe that? And so he um, uh, went to this bridge, but on his way there, um, he, he said, if one person, if just one person would look at me and ask me how am I doing today, I won't do it. Um, bus driver, you know, in New York, it's hurry, get on, kid, hurry up, where are you going? You riding or not, you know? So he got on, no one on the bus said anything to him. Um, and it wasn't that he had a happy face on, he was very sad, he got off. At the bridge and leaning over the bridge with tears in his eyes and um, he said I'm waiting just one person just one person a lady came up to him and asked him to take her pictures mm -hmm. he said, okay well maybe you know one, one last good deed and he took her picture she didn't notice the tears coming out of his eyes she didn't see him and that's where we are in the world today we don't look at each other when I talk to youth I tell them God has created every part of our body for use. Mm -hmm. Our ears to hear, our hands to feel, our feet for travel, and our eyes, there's the windows to see what's happening with each other. You can't tell me if you're looking on the phone that no, you don't feel good today, I can see it. Because your eyes are gonna tell something different than what's coming out of your mouth. And so many times you want kids don't look up, we don't look up, I mean, mm -hmm. you can go in a restaurant, but. 10, 15 people could be sitting at the table and they're all doing this right. and nobody's really looking or communicating with each other. And that happens so often, especially with youth. Um, if just one person would show interest, how are you doing today? And actually look at them in the eyes and then people on there are probably saying, she's not looking at the camera much, but I'm looking at you because mm -hmm. I can't teach people that or tell people that if I don't do that myself. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that, that we just don't know how important that is. Um, that we do that, that eye to eye. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah. eye contact is huge. It makes me think of, uh, you know, just a uh, trivial smiling matter to one degree. There's a commercial out there, uh, four guys sitting around on couches and they're all texting. <laughs> and they're all texting each other uh -huh, uh -huh. as to where they're going to go out to eat. It's like Jimmy John's or some <laughs> right, thing. And, right and so they all decide and then they all jump up at the same time. They are stinking sitting next right to each other. <laughs> And they're texting and not saying a word. Yeah, and this is the world we live in. I, you know, I see it all the time with college students. Uh, I actually go around to tables with my students and talk with them personally about, mm -hmm. hey, what's going on in your life? Uh, happy to talk with you about whatever. Um, and some of them are happy about that. Some of them are would just assume me walk away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Nonetheless, you know, to have somebody actually care about you uh, oh, is a big deal. What an impact. I mean, you know, you don't know, but somebody that you say that to is actually thinking, wow, he noticed me. I'm so yeah. glad he came over here. We may never know that. Um, they may never share that because we don't know what's going on within someone. But there's someone that you have said, hi, how are you doing today? Really, you made an impact on them. Um, okay, well, I'm not going to do what I was thinking about doing today. Remember, uh Justice Roberts, uh, he was he was speaking to his son's uh, junior high graduation or some such thing, and he was telling them, giving them wise little pearls of wisdom kind of thing, and this was just a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, what you ought to do is when you get to high school or your next place, he said, 
you ought to go up to people and, and introduce yourself. You know, introduce yourself to the person who cares for the grounds. Introduce yourself to the person who is in charge of cooking your food and so on. And then he said, and what you ought to do is you're walking down the sidewalk and you come across somebody and they're coming uh, up, up to you, say hi to them. And he said, you know the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is you will be the person known on campus as the person who says hello to people. <laughs> right, here he comes. <laughs> well, you know, how bad is that? You know, that, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. So those kinds of things really do matter, and we need to be more invested in the lives of the people that are right around us. I mean, that just kind of stands to reason. Uh, yeah. But nonetheless, it's not something that, that happens all the time in our culture. So uh, when you think about uh, the issues that engage us in the culture. Let's talk just in a couple of minutes we have before we take a break um, about big picture issues just generally in the culture that you think are having a, a negative influence. And then in the next segment, uh, let's come back to the individual issues and maybe talk about those. Well, for the big picture, I, I see it um, a lot um, with transgenerational trauma. That's the big picture that um, has gone on for years and years, and we just pass it on. And by transgenerational, you mean? From one parent to the, to the child, to the parent to the child, or whomever the caregiver is, whatever is going on in the house, and uh, even more so now in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Our neighborhoods are not what they used to be. You know, we used to keep go outside and play up to dark and be comfortable and feel safe um, down the street at the corner, you know, but we can't do that now. And um, the other part of that is a long, well, I don't know how many years back, but, uh, you know, we started teaching children about stranger danger problems. Mm -hmm. That's a stranger. Don't talk. Don't interact. And so now when I tell children to, or youth or anyone, to find one trusted adult um, that they can share with, you know what my response is? There is none. I don't know one. And that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad. So we're, we're not talking about just the absence of parents. We're talking about the absence of adults in the lives of young people. This is a trauma for uh, so many, uh, one in which I think all of us who are older and can manage this in terms of maturity and so on need to step up and actually introduce ourselves to young people and let them know we care about them. Yes. We're going to be taking a one-song break, but when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Laura Henderson and we're talking here today about mental health issues, specifically with youth, uh, and then more specifically with issues of suicide. Facebook Live will continue with you. Uh, those on the podcast, uh, we're going to take a one-song break. We'll be right back. So we do, uh, I just remind everybody, we're still Facebook Live. Thanks, okay. everybody, for uh, joining us here today. We're grateful. Uh, I see across the screens over there, we got some folks liking the uh, our opportunities to speak, all of those good things. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, so uh, we should probably uh, get a picture, you know, a nice picture of us. <laughs> just one of you. Yeah, I, I know. But you a know, new hair, nice, new picture. A nice one, yeah. In front of the, you know, microphone. Oh, God, I got these two gay <laughs> personalities. <laughs> all right. You want to look at it, Laura? Make sure it's good. Um, I guess. I don't know. I saw those two that Mark posted this morning. It couldn't be any worse than those. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm better over the time. <laughs> oh, my word. That's some of my best work. Oh, yeah, that's good. You like yourself? I, you know. I, 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 whatever. <laughs> no, 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 you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look later. I'll look later. <laughs> 
Because otherwise, if I look now, HB is going to give me a hard time. <laughs> he's always introducing me as his white twin. And I says, saw that a couple and he's, of weeks ago. And he's the pretty one, he says. You know, grit and grind. Well, you know, I was looking at you, but every time I would look back at that, you know what caught my attention over here? And I was like, he has got these tools lined up. Like, um, he's really going to hurt somebody. They're different. <laughs> Oh, yeah, look up under your desk. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I said, is he going to pull someone's tooth? That's some mental health issues. Right <laughs> this kind guy. Oh, oh, yeah, right, right. That's a violent time. One of the things that's true about HB is that he's also in the mental health field and uh, in a different way. HB, uh, <laughs> why don't you just take a minute to talk to people on Facebook Live about what you're doing. Well, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty much all tied in together. I guess if we had an ecosystem of mental health, uh, we would be talking the same thing. We're, we're basically talking about almost in every door we go through, uh, whether it's seniors who are being uh, left alone at home, uh, young people who are on autism, you know, the field that I'm working in, as Laura was mentioning, uh, people who have been abandoned. Uh, we're all dealing in, in a world where uh, mental health is, is the, the elephant in the room, but we just don't address it. Uh, we want to get by, you know, when your little child is just uh, too high, oh, just let him go outside and run. No, we need to get that child assessed and find out what's really wrong so we can start early to try to fix it. Uh, much like Laura says, when people are talking to you like they don't, don't want to be around, be cognitive of the fact that these people might be yelling and screaming to you that I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, with the more we know, the more we can help each other. So. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm very candid about it. I'm, I'm really, really trying to take this message into the urban and low income communities, people of color. Uh, the data just supports all day long that uh, we're late getting diagnosed, which means we're late getting treated. And uh, sometimes when it goes too far, uh, we're at a loss. But if we catch it early and find out what's really making this person feel this way, then we can start fixing and or helping those people adjust to some of the anxieties or depressions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, same thing. I, you yeah. know, Laura and I actually used to do a segment on my show until she walked out on me. And, uh, <laughs> oh, 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 I think, I think we'll you walk that one back a little bit. <laughs> and you see, he turned his back on that. <laughs> I'm not on camera. I'm loving this. They can hear me too. But no, seriously, no, we, we were addressing mental health. We've been on this ride for about over oh, the last two years now. Uh, really, just trying to seriously bring awareness about. Uh, what we need to do to make this an open conversation because everybody feels like, as she said, they feel like I'm the only one dealing. Yeah. And uh, truth be told, everybody, everybody uh, is dealing God. with something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and their family member, somebody's family, you know, is dealing with something. And so, you know, we have to make it. We have to make it okay. Yes. To say let's address these issues. It's one of the things that uh, my son Tyler talks about on a regular basis. We have ongoing conversations and. Uh, he says to me, you know, everybody to one degree or another is on the spectrum. Oh, absolutely. He mentions that, uh, you know, we yeah. all in some way or another struggle. Well, I just told you, I work with about 20 different therapists, and we need therapists for the therapists. therapists yeah. I mean, seriously, everybody who comes in there every day has got something else going on that is, is a mental health issue to them, mm -hmm. to them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so when we come back in uh, into the podcast, I want to make a couple of general statements about uh, the theological ramifications of this, I don't think we really think about much. Okay. So, um, we'll 
we'll start with that and then we'll go to the specifics, you know, things that you think are things that maybe some stories you want to tell about folks or uh, maybe some specific issues that you were talking about, the transgenerational, for instance. Um, are there, can you peel that back a little bit further and that kind of thing? So, if, if you don't mind, I'll even go back. Since this is Black History Month, Afri African Americans right. uh, go back to the slave ship. Yeah. And we are back, Warp and Move Radio, Radio Next.tv at the Cool Groove site, coming to you on Wednesdays from 11 to 11.50. Glad to introduce you to folks around Indianapolis, Christians who are doing good, Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, do good. Do good, do good. We're grateful again for Laura Henderson being with us here today. Uh, this alliance invested within the framework of mental health, uh, grateful for what they have to say and do here in the community and around the nation. I wanted to begin this segment by giving some general theological truths. We uh, talked a little bit about the incarnation of Jesus and what that means for us, that we have to be incarnationally present with people. That's the whole emphasis there of what that means for us. But I also wanted to say something about the necessity of understanding that there is a battle that goes on that's unseen. And one of the things I think uh, as Americans and as Christians in America, we often kind of sideline because, quite frankly, we tend to become na uh, Christian naturalists. We only believe in the five senses, or at least we only respond to the five senses, and forget that there's a supernatural world to which we must give an account. But even beyond that, and I'm not talking about going to church, I'm talking about a battle that's taking place literally in the air around us. If indeed uh, scripture teaches, which it does, that uh, we have an enemy that is the prince of the air, then indeed this battle is something that takes place in uh, realms all around us. And so we must not discount that. We must emphasize the fact that there is a demonic presence, generally speaking, throughout the world, not something to be uh, easily sloughed off or say, oh, Mark, you, I can't believe you believe that stuff. Or believe I believe that stuff. I've seen some of this stuff up close and personal. The other thing I would like to say about that, and flip it around, uh, coming back to your good story about the young man who's going to jump from the bridge, I'm thinking about angelic presence as well. Uh, Hebrews 13 says that we might entertain angels unaware. Uh, we never really know uh, where this might occur. And so even our prayers for people and the intervention that we might seek for them, even when we cannot be present with them physically, uh, I think is really important for us to recognize and understand that we can actually be praying for angelic presence even in that moment. Absolutely. So it's it's something I wanted to make sure to lead with because I think we, we have a tendency to think so much about the natural causes or interventions or whatever. But as Christians, of course, we believe in much larger issue here. Prayer first, absolutely, yes. Um, but in what I say a lot, um, well, at Mount Olive, um, Reverend Wayne T. Harris, he's deceased now, but he was my pastor for many years, and at Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church on West 16th Street, and we had a shelter, um, and um, it was an opportunity um, to partner with, at the time, Worship Hospital, um, and to do, uh, to uh, allow them to use our shelter um, for individuals coming out mm -hmm. of the hospital with nowhere to go with mental health challenges. And this was kind of kind of like my first introductory for this. Um, I had only went to the church and went to be there two weeks mm -hmm. <laughs> and to help do some books. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being there five years and the okay. executive director for Pastor Harris. Wow. And so we were the first church to partner with a hospital mm -hmm. um, to provide mental health housing. Um, and so in saying that, um, 
you know, they, they would go, uh, the church people would, uh, were kind of upset with me um, because they were like, uh, you know, these mental health people are coming to the church. They're going to be coming to the church. Oh my goodness. And so um, my, my response was, you know, I would kind of rather sit next to them because I know that they take medication or they have been diagnosed, but I don't know what yours is. And I see a lot of people talking to themselves and doing a lot of strange things in, in church, you know, so it kind of backed off of me, but it, it was a good partnership. The church was the, uh, the mental health uh, facility was there until Pastor Bear's died. Um, but um, prayer, yes, is number one. But what I would always say is that if you believe in God and you believe that he has given each person skills and abilities, mm -hmm. then why do you discredit right. a doctor? Or pull back from that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. He did not say me only, um, but he's provided all these other services. So, yes, continue mm -hmm. your frame of worship, um, but also seek outside of that because they also need mental health counseling because everybody continues to pour into the pastor sure. and he's got to empty his load somewhere as well. So it, it strikes me to say that the necessity of, uh, of living as a Christian in this world is that we recognize that there's a supernatural world and a natural world and that they literally must be synthesized, brought together yeah. so that we don't think of this as a separate uh, segment of life for us that somehow we need to separate this from our spiritual lives. Indeed, we're whole people. We're whole people, right? Yes, and um, I, of course, you'll probably know the exact uh, verse, um, but uh, Jesus prayed to remove for spirits to be removed mm -hmm. from various people in the Bible. You know, so uh, it does happen, as you said. You see, I've seen it because I worked on the streets in Kentucky with unmedicated um, individuals um, trying to get them into housing and get medication mm -hmm. for them. And a lot of times um, they were, when they came into the hospital, it was very, very serious situations mm -hmm. with them and uh, the, the dual conversations and things that were, were going on with individuals. Mm -hmm. um, so you can understand sometimes why families say they can't come back here anymore until they get treatment or until sure. they get help. Because it's scary if you don't understand, if you don't know it. You yeah. know, so. Well, since we're talking about this, it makes me wonder, and you know, be honest, as honest as you can be about this, how much of an inroad, let's use that word, how much of an inroad have you made with pastors and churches in this regard, just generally perhaps in a spectrum of people that you engage with? Well, they're getting better, okay. um, but uh, it's not where it should be. Um, now, I did do um, a, a Ending the Silence out at Mount Calvary. Um, I was very impressed um, with Dr. Williams out there. He did a whole month on mental health. Good for him. And uh, he ended it with Ending the Silence. And there's other churches I'm sure that I'm not aware of because I don't know all of them. But sure. the ones that I do know, I, I don't see. Um, that much of a connection um, with uh, uh, providing other services outside of the church or maybe even having um, mental health within the church, you know, someone that they can go to and provide resources. Right. Um, to One of the things that uh, I struggle with is the, the lack of, of relevant 21st century application in the pulpit. And so it's great to exegete the scriptures. very important that we hear directly from what God's word has to say. But God's word, if it's not applicable and relevant, then what, what is it that we're preaching about? So the necessity of engaging these kinds of issues and application to what Scripture teaches is huge to me. It is. It, it really is. And a lot of people in church 
are there not only for the Jesus or the God effect, but hoping that whatever is going on with me internally, it will be prayed out of me or they're going to say a word that's going to help deliver that out of me. And then when it doesn't happen that way, then they stop coming. Mm -hmm. But they didn't take away the challenges that is affecting them. Right. It, uh, just, I'm going to make this right to the camera, this statement to the camera, and for anybody that's listening later on the podcast, and that is the necessity of all churches. I don't care what churches we're talking about, conservative, liberal, black, white, I don't care. Every church needs to engage uh, issues around them of whatever uh, arenas need to be addressed. And in this particular case, we're talking about issues of mental health. We're concerned about people's lives. If we are preaching the gospel without being concerned about people's lives and the day-to-day -day stuff, in this case about suicide prevention, my word, then what are we doing here anyway? Absolutely. So uh, let's peel back some of what we had talked about in the first segment. We had talked about a transgenerational issue, uh -huh. which means that uh, it goes from generation to generation, from dad to son to daughter, and, and again on to the next generation. Yes. So help us a little bit understand um, the history of that, perhaps, and then give us some examples maybe along the way of what you've seen. Absolutely. Well, uh, in, in my studies and, and research of it, especially for the African-American community, um, in reading and thinking about it and in uh, various other teachings, I um, have learned that this transgenerational trauma goes well beyond the United States. It goes back to the slave ship. Can you imagine being put on drug from your homeland, put in a ship, people talking, you don't understand what they're saying. You've not done anything wrong. You're bound. Um, you might be three stack fold of people, on men, on, men and women on top of each other in the bottom of a boat. And for however many days, feces, whatever, people die. All of this trauma. Then you're brought to this United States. Um, you're told, this is who you are. This is not who you are anymore. You don't have that name. This is who you are. And you're beaten until you succumb to that. Um, and then you decide, okay, this is who I am. I, I got my new family now because I don't know what happened to my family over there. Um, and then all of a sudden, come Sunday when they sell the black men or the black families or the black individuals. And, well, this is a good-looking black man. I think I'll sell him. And so you're stripped away from that family, that new family. Trauma again. Trauma for that family. Um, the mother. Her children are sold to other people, other slave owners. So it's, it has been constant and constant and constant. But has anyone during all of this transition time talked to people about it? Obviously, most of those, if not all of those individuals are deceased now. So going back, to, as far as you can go back and talk to people about it um, and start unraveling what happened, what did you feel like? And, and that's one thing with the young people, if we could get them to try to get more information from mm -hmm. the older people, um, then they can kind of understand where they're at today. Now, for me and my family personally, my mother's brother <clears throat> was um, hung in Marion, Indiana, on a tree um, in 1937.
Thank you.